Andy and Mandy, thanks for leading on a really short notice. Appreciate you guys. Uh, man, I, I could just keep the song, that song that, with the line, I am who you say I am, on repeat. There's so, there's so much that, um, that that principle alone combats, right? Anxiety and identity. They're so wrapped up in that where if we can come to grips with the reality that I am who you say I am, that's good. Well, look, if you've got your Bible open to uh, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, we're going to look at the last bit. Dan preached last week uh, in the first chunk of chapter 4, we're at the, the last little section this morning. And it's probably titled in your Bible, uh, Jesus Heals an Official Son. That's what it is in my Bible. It's probably something like that, the official son or something. Uh, and really, I think that title undersells it. I think it undercuts it. I think it, it sets you up to not pay attention. It's more like this. This is a story of a sick little boy, a desperate father, and a benevolent king. Now that's the story I want to listen to, right? That's a, that's a little more gripping when we look at it that way. And this story serves as a signpost pointing to, to Jesus' messianic identity. John describes it that way. This is the second sign that was done. Second sign done in Galilee, uh, I think is what John's getting at. But this signpost or this sign is really that. It is a signpost to messianic identity. It lets us see, and not just us, the readers, uh, it let the, uh, the people, the public that saw this and seeing this, it points them to the messianic reality of Jesus, that he is the anointed one of God, and John is making that point over and over and over again in this gospel, that Jesus is the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah, and when we believe in him, it is that belief is the key to the most remarkable treasure we could ever possess, eternal life. And he goes through and he talks about all these different facets of this gem of eternal life. That's what happens through really the entirety of the book of John. But this morning, I want to look at just a short little section um, here in a really simple sermon that leads us to one simple application point that we can grab hold of today and this week. So if you've got your Bible, John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54, let's read just a sentence or two and we'll stop and kind of there's a couple things we need to know and then we'll read all of it. So here it is, verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Stop there, just the first sentence. So Jesus is back in Cana. He's back in Cana. He's started there. This is where he made the water wine. And John gives us this indicator. This is He's bringing this back around, right? And we've talked about this. Uh, that This is the, it's referred to as the Cana cycle. It's where Jesus starts at Cana, makes his way around, ends at Cana. And John gives us the stories of what, of some things that Jesus has done in this 
way. And so here's what we, what we have. Here's that if we, if we jump back, you remember with me, in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. That's the beginning of the Cana cycle. That happens at Cana at a wedding. He turns water into wine. And then later in chapter 2, uh, we have that Jesus is at the temple uh, and he cleanses the temple. So he's made his way from Cana down to Jerusalem. And he's now he's there for Passover and he cleanses the temple. Then in chapter 3, we have this conversation with Nicodemus where Jesus begins talking about the necessity of being born again. That we must be born again. And he, and he starts talking about eternal life, right? Um, he goes on in chapter 4 in this interaction. John tells us of this interaction with the Samaritan woman that, John, that Dan talked about last week. And in this interaction with the Samaritan woman... Uh, he talks about living water, this new water, this living water that will spring up to eternal life. He talks about new worship in the new temple. And then we're talking about, I think, a new authority, a demonstration of a new authority. That is today. Uh, and here's the point of the Cana cycle is, is this, is that the new has come. The new has come. We're talking about new wine, new temple, new life, new water, new worship, new authority. John is laying this out in a very um, strategic way, right? To, to make the case that the new has come. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Jesus brings in. Now, all of these are intended to shape our belief. All of what John is doing is intended to shape our beliefs that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. That is the case that Jesus is making. That's why the whole thing that, that I think John is aiming at and that we're aiming at is belief, that it all flows out of belief, that belief is the key that unlocks this eternal life, this belief in Jesus, and Jesus then gives us eternal life, and this is the impetus for everything else we do. And that's what John is aiming at. So, that's the first sentence. Gives us a little context. We're back in Canaan. Keep reading. 46 through 47. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Okay? A couple things we want to... Pay attention to, this is where we pick up in this story, a sick little boy and a desperate father. He was uh, in Capernaum. At Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill, so Capernaum. This is 16 miles away from Cana. You think uh, the distance from here to Tipton, roughly, right? Um, and that this official who would have been officially connected, almost certainly, to Herod, Herod Antipas. He's, he's some, uh, some official uh, in his uh, cohort or cabinet, uh, and he's connected to him in some official way. Now, we don't know whether this guy is a Gentile or a Jew. It doesn't say. There's no reason to believe that he is a Gentile, but this is all that we know about him, uh, and that his... His son is sick, and that he can't do anything to help him. Now, this is one of those places in the Bible 
that it's easy, and there's many of these, where it's easy to read the text and just kind of skip on through it and not feel it, not feel the weight of what's happening, right? But if you, if you look at the story, not as just that Jesus heals an official son, but this is a story of a sick little boy and a desperate dad, right? You think of it, you've got this, you've got this situation that's going on in Capernaum, and something happens, and this boy pops up sick. And they do the normal medical things, whatever that might have been for them in the day, right? Of to um, take care of him at home, do some things, then, then call a physician. This guy was, uh, was probably fairly wealthy to call a physician to come and to, to assess the situation, to try to take care of this boy, and nothing's happening. And he's at the point of death, is what it tells us. He's at the point of death. And then something crazy happens. Right, This boy is at the point of death, and the father makes a desperate move. Because if you put yourself there, your little boy is dying. He's sick, and he's dying, and nothing is helping him. Nothing is, is making him better, and you don't know what else to do, and he is at the point of death. He's dying. Where do you want to be if you're a dad? There. Right? You're going to be there. You're not going to leave. You're not going to leave. This is your son. He's at the point of death. Right? And so here's what's going on. But this dad, in this moment, makes a desperate move. And if you play this out, you think of how this happens. That Jesus, this rabbi that is gaining some notoriety, there's some disciples, there's, some, there's a crowd that follows him. You heard that he's in, that he's in Cana. So this dad, he's heard that this rabbi, that some say is the Messiah, that he's at Cana in Galilee. And so in this, in this move of desperation and hope, this dad leaves. Leaves to go 16 miles to go find this rabbi that some say is the Messiah. Okay, so you've got, this is a move of desperation more than it is a move of faith. It's what it looks like here. But like, here's the feeling of this that, that resonates with me and that this should, man, that this should resonate with all of us of looking at this thing and this, this feeling that says, I'm in trouble and I'm helpless and I can't fix this situation. I need to get to Jesus. Right? Of going, I can't fix this. I don't know what to do. And as a, as a father, to sit there and hold your son who is dying and is at the point of death and go, dude, I can't fix this. I got nothing. I got nothing to do. So I'm going to lay him down and I've got to get to Jesus. The principle that shows up just in this little snapshot, is, is meaty. It will carry us through, right? When we say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. But I know I need to get to Jesus. So he sets out, and he leaves his dying son. This is a move of desperate hope. And this is where the benevolent king comes into the story. So read with me. Let's read the rest of it. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus 
had come from Judea to Galilee, he went with him, or went to him, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Stop there, we'll read the rest of it in a second. Okay, so you've got a sick little boy, a desperate father, makes this 16-mile journey to find this rabbi that might be the Messiah, and he finds him. And what it looks like to me is that he finds him in the crowd. He finds him perhaps teaching. He finds him doing what Jesus often did, right? Sitting around with people, and there's a crowd that has heard about, this is, this is that guy. This is that guy that, sh- that was at the wedding and turned water into wine. I heard in Jerusalem, he was flipping over tables and cleared the temple out. Right? They're hearing about the things that Jesus is, has done and is doing. And the things that John certainly doesn't record all of them. There's a lot of things that happen in the other gospels. And, and this is what's going on. That this is, this, this is that guy. It's that rabbi. And so... This official shows up, he finds him in the crowd. And what it looks like to me, what it feels like to me, Jesus is talking to the crowd and and talks to this guy in the presence of a crowd. Because in the Greek, the you there, the you there in this verse, where am I? Uh, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Really, the ESV ought to to put a little redneck in there. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Right? This is plural. Both yous right there are plural. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Okay? So Jesus is talking to him in the presence of enough people for this to be recorded for us uh, and, and use the plural. Talking to people, unless you see signs and wonders. This is the only time John uses the word wonders. He's talked about signs and he will continue to talk about signs. These things that Jesus does that points to his messianic identity. But in this situation, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you are fickle. That's what he's saying. Y'all are fickle. Unless you see great wonders and things that impress you, you won't believe. But the father here, this desperate dad, he's not about that. He's not concerned with that. Look, so we get this. glimpse of this very personal moment so the official said to him now he's talking directly he's talking directly to Jesus sir come down before my child dies and now Jesus responds directly to him now we don't know the way all this interaction plays out but we, we do have this recorded for us. Sir, come down before my child dies. He's not interested in signs and wonders. He's only concerned with the life of his precious boy. And Jesus answers him directly and personally. Go. Go. Your son will live. Again, this is one of those moments that's easy to miss. Because here's what's happening. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? Go, your son will live. And 
boom, right there. Here's what's happening. When, when he says, go, your son will live, Jesus is demonstrating an authority that they cannot fathom. Right? They don't get it. They don't understand. This is an authority that they cannot fathom. That this man walks or rides in a chariot or however he gets there for 16 miles, he gets to Jesus. He says, please come with me. Please come with me. You need to go to my house. Please come with me. My son is about to die. Please come. And Jesus tells him to go. Go, your son will live. I don't have to go there. I don't have to go there. I have authority with a word I can heal your son. I just did. Go. Your son will live. And it is in this moment that we're reminded that the word of God is powerful. Right? You look all through the Old Testament. The things that God does by his word, he creates by his word. He judges by his word. He reveals by his word. Right? The word of God is powerful. And at the beginning of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what he's talking about with Jesus. Even You go back a little further than that. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word. All these things that we see with the Word. Right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were created by Him. It was nothing created without Him. All of this by the Word. And now Jesus says this, go, your son will live. And here the rubber meets the road. Believe or not. Right? Believe or not. Because if you believe this, you believe in what's going on, you believe in what Jesus has just said, what do you do? So, let's read the rest of it. So Jesus, let's start in 49. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So yesterday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, fever breaks, your son is better. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus had done when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so look, here's what we see. This desperate hope has now transformed into confident belief. He believed and he went on his way. One thing that we see is that his belief impacted those around him. His belief affected his son. Right? His belief affected his son. He goes, Jesus said, go, your son's healed. And it's based on the belief of the father. Right? The faith of the father. That's what's going on. When he goes, and his faith is strengthened when he runs into his servants when was what hour was this what hour was this yesterday at one o'clock i think i knew it 
I knew it. I was talking to him yesterday at 1 o'clock. Yesterday at 1 o'clock, and he said, go, your son will get better. And I believed him. All right, that's what you get is going on. His belief impacted everyone around him. He goes, he goes back, and it says that he believed, and he himself believed in all his household. Here's the deal. Here's the application. We look at the story. Sick little boy. And a desperate dad and a benevolent king. And what do we do with it? What do we do with it? We, we, we glean a few things. It helps us fill in our understanding of the book of John. We see the way the Cana cycle comes all the way back around. We look at this and it, it stirs up affection for Jesus, this benevolent king. But here's the application of what, we, what I feel like we can do with this, what I try to do with this this week and going forward. We can rest in confident belief that Jesus is our benevolent king. We rest in that. The same way this father did. We rest in the fact that Jesus is our benevolent king. He knows what we need and he is powerful to affect it. And he is wise, more wise than we are, right? To give us what we need more than what we think we need. That he is the king with all authority and wisdom and power. That he is good and he cares for us. Jesus redeemed the pain and the hardship of this little boy. Jesus redeemed the suffering of this family and this child. And used it for his glory. Right? It's one of the things we talked about. In my small group on Wednesday night, I think it, I don't know, remember who it was that made that point. I said, man, God uses the suffering of this little boy as a sign of his messianic identity. Right? We can rest in the fact that Jesus is our benevolent king. Benevolent in that he loves us and he is a giving, generous king. King in that he's not, he ain't no just emperor of the land or some little k king he's the great king that rules that can affect a little boy miles away with a word right that's the king that we have he's our benevolent king and so we rest in that it brings great peace and hope and rest for us we rest in the care of this same benevolent king when we are when we deal with sickness or turmoil or pandemic or unrest, or hardship, or anxiety, or whatever else might come your way today, we can rest in the fact that Jesus is our benevolent king. We know that because we saw the way that he dealt with a sick little boy and a desperate father in a situation that just popped up. And you could probably make the case Maybe this is the very reason Jesus returned to Canaan. Right? He came back to Canaan, maybe because he knew there would be a desperate father that was looking for him. Think about that way and the intentionality of Jesus to allow himself to be found by a father that's looking for him. So, here we go. We can rest in him. We can trust him. Him fully. That's what we take away from this.
we can rest and trust and be joyful in the day, no matter what happens. Regardless of whether your candidate wins, we can rest. Regardless of whether the sickness goes away, we can rest. Regardless of whether it's cancer or not, or COVID or not, we can rest. Regardless of what happens in our country, we can rest. Regardless of what happens with your job, you can rest. This applies to every area of our lives, and it affects the deepest level of who we are. Right? The deepest level of who we are, that we say, this is out of my hands. This is out of my hands. I need to get to Jesus. And when I do, that's where I find rest. That's where I find hope. That's where I find a king that I can trust. And that's good. If we want to respond to God's word anytime we come to it, we don't want to read it uh, just as an intellectual exercise, but we want to uh, lean on and let the Spirit of God work in us. We respond this way, this way, that one, uh, we want to repent. It's hard to trust. And it's hard to rest. There's so much in me, there's so much in me that feels like I have to control this. I have to control it. I have to guard it. I have to produce it. I have to create it. Whatever it is, I, I have to do it. And it's so hard to rest. And often, I forsake that rest for my own idolatry of provision, whatever that might be. Right? And when I do that, my response needs to be repentance. Repentance says, I forsake this idol. And I reorient around Jesus as a good, benevolent that's what repentance is, right? So we ought to respond that way. That might be you. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you're not. If you need to take a minute to repent and to reorient around Jesus as king, we're going to take a time to do that. Another way that we respond is that we remember. We remember that this benevolent king, he died for his people. He died for his people. And this is in this uh, beautiful demonstration of his benevolence and his kingship. Benevolence in that he dies for his people. He provides what they can't provide for themselves. And his identity as king is that his death satisfies righteous wrath and justice because the king died in my place. So the part of the way that we remember what God has done is that we take the Lord's Supper together. We take this together. This is a weekly rhythm of remembrance, right? So if you're here with us for the first time, your first time in a minute, you come down the outside aisles. When if you want to, if you want to participate, you come down the outside aisles. You grab the wine or the juice, and the piece of bread. You take it back to your seat, and you pray something like this: God, help me to remember. Help me to remember well as I take this into my own body, as I taste it, as I consume it. Help me to remember that Jesus died in my place, that my benevolent king died in my place. All right? The aim for this whole thing is engagement and remembrance. That's why we make you get up. That's why generally, normally we have bread that you break. That's why we use wine because it's bitter and it burns a little bit. The whole aim is engagement. 
right? So we want you to, we're asking you, inviting you to participate in this rhythm of remembrance with us. But this is not what you need. This is not what you need if you have not put your faith in Jesus. There's no righteousness on this table. There's no righteousness there. Right? It's only remembrance of what Jesus as King has done for us. So if you have not put your faith in Jesus, the invitation for you is this repentance. It's repentance. It's to turn from sin, to embrace Jesus as King, and this new life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. A third response is rejoicing. Rejoicing. We want to sing together. Posture of joy. We want to give joyfully. Serve the church. Serve the kingdom. We want to give joyfully as an act of worship and rejoicing. God ain't interested in your money. He's after your heart. But this is the way that we participate. You have an opportunity to worship this way. Right? You can give online. You can give at the box in the back. And then we want to celebrate with joy. Right? In our singing, in our giving, in our going, we want to go with a posture of joy. So let me pray for us, pray over us. We'll respond together. We'll sing another song or two. And we'll wrap this up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for the way you teach us through it. God, I'm so thankful for a simple story about a sick little boy and a desperate dad and a benevolent king. God, it's so good to see the way that you see people. That you care for them. And that there's not some, some formula, some, some list of things that we have to do to earn your favor or to earn our way into your presence. So you came for us. You sent your son to seek and to save that which was lost. To step in to the brokenness of life and redeem it. Father, I'm grateful for the example that we have in this text this morning. God, help uh, us to allow um, to allow your word to prompt some things in our life, to prompt us, to goad us into resting, to trust and rest and have confident belief that Jesus is a benevolent king, that he is good. That he's good, that he's powerful, and that he loves us right where we are. He's made a way for us to live. Father, in the next few moments, help us to respond well with engagement, not just going through the motions, not just uh, taking communion because it's there, not just singing because there's lyrics on a screen or giving because we feel like we need to. God, but help us to be engaged, to lean in. Father, for, for anyone in the room that might be in this position, that they, they don't know you as Father, that Jesus has not been their King, but sits in, still in this spot of brokenness and blindness and darkness. God, I pray that you would 
delivered them. God, that you would open their eyes to the gospel, that they would embrace it wholeheartedly, and that they would believe in the name of Jesus, and thereby have life. God, for those in the room that have put their faith in Jesus, help us to respond well. pray all these things uh, in the strong name of Jesus, our King.